This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you are listening to another episode of The Crowncast, but I do not get the credit. No, today I don't get the credit. Many, many days of The Crowncast's history, 140-something episodes, might be more, might be less, I don't know, somewhere in the hundred, mid-hundreds range of episodes, I've planned podcasts, I've introduced podcasts, I've announced podcasts, I've even said one or two things about football. And uh, today I don't get the credit. The man who does is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, hello. And Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. So a little bit of backstory for the listeners. Every, you know, before we set these podcasts up, we'll put stuff into a general document that allows us to organize our thoughts. And we popped on because it was an off weekend, or I popped on and said, hey, gents, any ideas on on what we want to bring to the podcast this time? And some few minutes later, there was a perfectly outlined, brilliantly built podcast, numbered, formatted, all of the discussion topics we could possibly Mm -hmm. go through, just beautiful, beautiful work (laughs) that Josh just up and did for me. So uh, I'd like I'd like everyone to give a, a round of applause to Josh for this one. <laughs> and if anyone um, dislikes this podcast, you can find me at Twitter at underscore UNR. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, really, I, I, I want to go on record saying how like uh, I, I, I my brain did not have to work for this other than the football stuff. So thank you so much. You uh, and you'll be set up for the next one. You get to plan the whole next one, buddy. If I, if I if I've got it in me, yeah, I don't know if I've got a perfect <laughs> outline like that in me, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, we are going to go ahead and get into it, though, because we had an off weekend. We did not play anybody. They did the international football. I'm going to ask the question because you guys actually keep up with international football. I'm a bit of a weird one, and internationals is. I kind of had a disgust for international when they take club players. And to me, that feels like taking fancy toys away that cost lots and lots of money and then delivering them back to your favorite club broken. So I've never been a huge fan of international football. I vaguely keep eyes on it, but like to check scores, not to actually keep it. How in touch with international break have you guys been? Uh, very little for me personally. Um, Mostly during the international break, I check to make sure that Arsenal players have not gotten injured. And then if the games actually matter, I will watch the U.S. games. If they don't matter, like this this break where it's been friendlies, um, if I happen to have like find the game on, I'll I'll have it on in the background. But I don't follow it intently when it's just a, a friendly international break. How about you, Ewan? Um. I mean, with England, it's um, it, it's its own thing because we we go to an international break. People hate Gareth Southgate. We draw, we win, and then we kind of come away from it with people hating him more, even though the results came out all right. Um, Harry Maguire scored an own goal. Obviously, that creates a lot of fun discussion from people. <laughs> I mean, um, Harry Ma- Harry Maguire scoring an own goal—that's not football. That's just comedy. Yeah, I mean, I I he's my he's someone who I defend. So um, I was kind of when it happened, I was a bit sick feeling like oh, i'm gonna have to go through all of this again but luckily jude bellingham was like amazing in the game against scotland so that kind of dictated a lot of the chat rather than that and um yeah thankfully for me that that kind of put aside a few arguments so yeah all good <laughs> now keep in mind general listeners i am the one who doesn't really follow international football and even i know that when uh gareth southgate figures out that harry Maguire and harry kane and a few other pieces of that team maybe shouldn't still be playing anymore. Calvin Phillips. <laughs> Calvin Phillips. Uh, <laughs> that that England team is going to get really, really good really fast. Uh, so maybe he is, despite winning, like a double agent and is intentionally trying to hold them back. Uh, this just in, Gareth Southgate, actually an American. <laughs> He actually doesn't live too far from me, to be fair. And I kind of like him. So maybe that's hometown bias. Mm. But um, yeah, maybe, yeah. That that goes into its whole other subject of international football isn't proper football and everything like that. But we'll leave that for now. We we can put that aside. Maybe we'll have a bonus episode that's just all international football talk. Uh, Maybe we'll like call Jess and see if she wants in on that one. Uh, Let's go ahead and move into the MLS and more specifically 
what Charlotte FC has ahead of it, uh, what is going on with Charlotte FC, and you know, Josh, you're the one who designed this episode. Do you want to do you want to go announce the first segment? Yeah, yeah. So, um, playoff chances, I think, are at the forefront of everyone's mind right now. Uh, we are currently sitting at 31 points. Traditionally, you've needed about 46 to 48 points to feel secure in getting into the playoffs. That, of course, was a um, not expanded playoff format like this year, where you'll have the eight and the nine in a one-game playoff. So maybe you can sneak into one of those positions with slightly fewer. Um, but you're kind of probably still shooting for that 46, 48 point range. And looking at what we have left, we have eight games left, I believe. Um, and then the big news that I'm sure everyone is aware of is two of those games are against Inter Messi. And so I think when you take a step back and you look at this team and you look over the next few weeks, I think it's a really interesting question to consider what actually are our playoff chances i believe also as a corollary to this we're 11th in the east and we are three points behind dc united who sit ninth and who we play so um ashley westwood said it's a big game coming up he was not lying um but it's a big few weeks coming up and and i think we really have to try to start considering is this team going to make the playoffs or not so we are three points behind dc united you are correct and we are also in 11th but we do have two games in hand which of mm. course means that we are, we actually basically have six points. So we are Got it. Got really it. on on 37 <laughs> points because that's okay. how that works, right? Games in hand are yep. always wins. Um, everybody that knows that. That's just how football works. Uh, you and what is, what is your perspective on this? You know, d- does Charlotte FC make the playoffs this year? Um, from the just kind of mathematical perspective, like you lay out there, it's it really is on for us if we want it <laughs> to make the uh to make at least the uh expanded playoffs um that being like josh mentions the eight and the nine um the problem is is that this game that's coming up on the uh on the weekend against dc and not to get too much into the preview that is so make or break that you fear that a loss in that game could be so demoralizing that it might you know, take the train off the tracks and then the two games coming up against into Miami and everything like that. It is kind of tough. And then on top of the fact that you look what happened in the, uh, in the cup and you think that maybe we banked a lot of our luck in those games to ultimately lose quite uh, in quite comfortable fashion because, you know, football's always about, you know, regression of luck and everything like that. So you look at it mathematically, we have a hell of a chance, but you, you kind of dig deeper into it and you come out with the result of maybe it's not going to happen for us. But also looking at how the conference laid out last year, if this playoff format would have been in last year, we would have sneaked into the playoffs in like the sneakiest way you can sneak into the playoffs. <laughs> finishing on level points and, and getting in there with the worst goal difference and getting in there on the head-to-head for that ninth spot for that um for that game um mm-hmm. what i will say kind of in a big way on this is is that it'll probably be downplayed if we do get in for the eight or nine because it's like oh it's the new format you can you know it's, it's a lot into now but you think it would mean a lot to get into that game not that we have a chances of kind of going on and and, and winning the whole thing but to play in a game, to simply just play in a game like that and the precursor to that being playing in big, important games would be great for our players and great for an inexperienced head coach. So I don't think we should downplay how big a deal it would be to just kind of get into the party. All right. Uh, I am going to make you, I'm going to make you commit, Ewan. Charlotte FC, <laughs> do they make the playoffs? Yes or no? No. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> well, the good news is Ewan was the bad guy first. Yeah. Again, all hate mail to at Ewan. Oh, no. uh, Josh, because you did not you did not actually throw your hat onto either side of, of the ring here. Charlotte FC, do they make the playoffs? No. And my reasoning is I think we beat DC United, and I think that gives us a lot of hope. But we have a three-game stretch of Philadelphia... Cincinnati and New England. Cincinnati and New England are away, I believe, as well. And Cincinnati is the best team in the league this year, and it's not really close when you look at the points totals. 
Um, so you kind of look at the, these eight games and you say it's really seven that we have to make these points because I think thinking we're getting anything from Cincinnati is kind of fool's gold. Um, and I think that that run of three games is is going to break us. I'm not saying we're going to lose all three, but I think you're really at the point where you're kind of having to win the majority of your games. And I think you're having to take two out of three from those three games. And that seems a big ask. And I hope that in a couple weeks I am on this pod and I am eating crow because they have gone out and done what I said they couldn't do. Humble pie is our favorite pie on this podcast. (laughs) Um, We make a lot of bold statements here. So every now and then we do end up eating the humble pie. I am going to weigh in because it would be unfair of me uh, to ask you two to put your to throw your hat in the ring and then not do so myself. You know, I'm looking at the rest of our our schedule right now. I have it pulled up in front of me thanks to the magical box. Um, and the magical box is telling me that we have DC United, which in my opinion is an absolutely critical fixture. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. They're currently in. We're currently out. We have games in hand over them. It's a three point difference. This is essentially a six point game. Momentum, yada, yada, yada. All of that is to say DC United is one of the easier games on paper that we're going to have left, and it's going to be high tension. These aren't going to be people on the beach. They're going to want this. We're going to want this. It's going to be it's going to be hot. Philadelphia, Cincinnati and New England, which you rightly pointed out, Josh, not only do we have them all in a row, you could have like hoped that maybe we had all three of them in a row at the end of the season. It was the last three games of the season. These are three of the best teams in the league. All of their players are on the beach. Nope. (laughs) We get them right after D.C., which means Philadelphia is going to be in the middle of fighting. Right? They are going to be trying to pick up every point they can to finish the best they can because they're in the fight. Cincinnati is kind of run away with the league but I don't think we're getting them late enough that they're going to be willing to say, look, let's just step off and make sure our players are healthy for, for they want playoffs. the shield. Yeah, they want the shield. It's early enough that it won't be secured. I think they're going to come at us and they're going to say, look, Charlotte FC is a struggling team. We're going to go murder them and take three points. I think they're going to come out hot and hard and really aim to target us. New England is a similar situation. We're getting them early enough that they're not going to be on the beach. They're going to have something to play for. Toronto and Chicago then become your quote-unquote easy games. Chicago has something to play for. Toronto really doesn't have a lot to play for at this point. So I think we can we can say that maybe Toronto is a, a place where we can go and expect something. But then we play Inter Messi twice, and I don't think we should ever reference them again as Miami. They're no longer Miami. The whole team is becoming Messi's team. No one has beaten that team. Uh, you and you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. Since Messi came in, they have either won or drawed every single game they have played across all competitions. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, throw some uh, penalty shootouts in there, but their draws anyway. So yeah, yeah that's, they that's, have that's they have true. won or drawn every single game they've played. And they have massacred a few good teams doing it. That team is good. And we're going to play them twice. And I I do at least like, if we want to talk about a little piece of hope, I like that we're going to play Inter-Miami at Miami and then at Charlotte because, you know, we get to go there, play them, and then feel like, look, if we lost, we get to try it again at home. I like that pattern better than the other way. But the truth is... You need four, at least, wins out of this run. Josh, would you say you need at least four? Does that sound fair? At least four. At least four. No, I I think you need at least five. Really? To make, if you beat, if you beat DC United. If you beat DC United, that I'm counting that as one of the five. Yes. Of the remaining, of the remaining seven games. I think of these remaining eight games, you need 15 points at least um, so from these from these remaining eight so you have to beat toronto you have yep. to beat dc united in in a high a high stress six pointer beating chicago you have to beat chicago in a high stress six pointer away from home yep 
And then you need to go and take at least two wins from two against your Miami and three of the best teams in the league. If you believe in the script writers, the Miami Charlotte games are going to be a two legged final to see who gets into the playoffs. I mean, I'll be honest. I kind of hope so. <laughs> like, like, is there any better experience than that? Like, yes, obviously, unfortunately, Charlotte is probably not favored to come out on top of that, but it's a good story. And like, it, it does sell tickets and it does boost uh, Charlotte's image and it gets us out there. So I can't say that's terrible, but I'm also going to be the bad guy. And I'm going to say it's I really don't I don't know that I see it. I think if Charlotte makes the playoffs, it's going to be in that ninth spot, that eighth or ninth spot. And it's going to be really because Chicago and D.C. United just absolutely fall off the map. Yep. Uh, that that now now that we've been super positive about Charlotte's chances <laughs> because because I actually really like the way that Charlotte's playing it feels really odd to like look at what's left and go well we got two games in hand but I'm not loving it uh Josh I'm going to I'm going to go to you and I am going to actually no, I'm going to go to you and with this one you and I'm going to go to you and I'm going to say at the beginning of the season most of us sat down and said Charlotte was making the playoffs. A lot of us had them in sixth, seventh. Uh, I think most of us would have said, absolutely, they're coming in ninth. Knowing what we know now and knowing what we thought we knew then, <laughs> is this season of failure if Charlotte Charlotte doesn't make the playoffs? Um, you mentioned there uh, that a lot of people before the season had us making the playoffs and had us whatever position they may have had us. Coming into this season, I had the prediction, well, not prediction, uh, prediction slash expectation that a realistic goal for this team should be to reach 45 points. And we're in a position now with eight games to go with 31 points that it would take a lot for us to get to that marker. So for me, I think we're going to fall short of the mark that I set as an achievable goal at the start of the season. And that will probably mean that we missed the playoffs. And yes, that probably means that at least in my opinion, this has been a failure of a season from the perspective that looking at the squad, looking at the, the fixtures that we have for the season, everything like that, put it all together, mix it in a pot. I thought we could get to 45 points and there's a realistic chance that we don't actually even get to 40. So I don't, I almost feel like it's layered in a way of missing the playoffs failure, making the playoffs success. I almost think if we miss the playoffs, there's layers of failure to it because if I think we could could have got 45 points and we end up and we could fairly realistically end up with maybe 38, 39, I think that that's a, you know, a questions need to be asked kind of season based off the players that we have. So yeah, for me, missing the playoffs would be a failure. Yeah, I mean... If you look at it, if you look at our remaining schedule, there's a very real chance that we win one of our remaining matches and maybe tie two others. There's a chance this team ends on 36 points. Uh, Josh, you wrote the script, literally. <laughs> so I assume that you have the answers to the script. You know, where does this rank on yours? Failure? Success? I hope it's not a success. <laughs> so I, I think I've, amongst the Charlotte community, you know, at large, have been more down on this squad talent wise since the beginning of the season than a lot of people. Um, and so my expectations coming into this season were that we should be fighting for one of those eight or nine spots. And we are currently doing that. So as it stands right now in my head, this season is not a failure. But I think Ewan's point is very relevant that this is not an easy end of the season. And if we're finishing seven, eight points outside of the playoffs, that for me is a failure. If we finish, say, 10th and we're two points, three points out, I'm going to be disappointed, but I don't think I'm going to go as far as to say it's a failure. Right now, this has been kind of what I expected from this squad just because the talent, I think, is lacking. Um, but there's ev But with that said this is not the talent that should be finishing below 40 points in my opinion. And there's a real possibility of that. 
And I think if that happens, you have to look at it as a failure and you have to ask some serious questions at every level of this organization from front office to coaching staff to players um, about that because I don't think we're the most talented team in the league, but we're not a team who should finish, I think, below 40, 40 points. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to weigh in here. I like you and that you talked about what you felt like it was an achievable points total for this team because we we have this conversation a lot in the European leagues where you look at a team and you say, this is a X point team, and that might be good enough to achieve our goals, right? If your goal is top four in European leagues to make the Champions League, this number is what you think the team is. But if four of the other teams run away with the league and, you know, three out of the four teams have 90 point seasons and one has an 87 point season, a good season isn't good enough. And you can't necessarily, you know, rank your team based on failure or success of achieving these points when they may ha- might have outperformed your expectations and four other teams just ran away with the pot. I like that thought process. <laughs> And at the same time, we're not talking about top one. We're not talking about winning a league. We're not talking about a team that we think could get 90 points a season and another team goes and gets 99. We're not talking about a team we think can get 70 points a season and four other teams go get, you know, 85 plus, right? We're talking about sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth in a league of 15 teams. Right, we're talking about being in the top two-thirds of the league. And I, I won't lie, there's a, a part of me that says if we don't get, you know, ninth, if we're in the bottom five teams of the league, that is objectively a failure. Uh, that is a legitimate cause for significant concern all the way down through the coaching staff and all the way into the players that are currently the core of this team. And now that I've said all of that, I'm going to throw it out the window and say, you know what the truth is? I don't think it's a failure if we miss out. And my reasoning is thus. I have seen teams in the past rebuild. I've seen teams go and take themselves from places where they were filled with toxic players, with you know difficult situations, with systems that weren't actually designed to work or not actually designed to work, didn't work, but they were sticking with anyway. And I have seen those teams go through the path of having to move players on, having players who were falling out with the coach that had to go train alone or just be moved on or have their contracts let go. And Charlotte FC has actually done a lot of this this season. I, I think if you you almost have to break the season into two halves, one of which is us realizing Charlotte FC is not good. And the other one of which is them starting to do the work to change something about it. And I think we've seen that in the way they're turning their play about. I'll be honest, I don't think they can make it. And I think if I hadn't seen significant change in the team, I would have said this was an abject failure. I am, and maybe this is the fan in me. And Josh, I'm going to ask you to be the one who keeps me honest because I know you'll tell me off. Is the fan in me seeing this team doing the stuff that's required to take a team that wasn't going to make it and say, screw it, this season's gone, but we're going to continue, we're going to change, and we're going to be better? And is that a success, or am I just trying to see the best because I love Charlotte FC? I'm 70% the latter, 30% the former, because unfortunately this feels a bit deja vu to me to last year. To be quite honest with you, like I feel like we had similar conversations at the end of uh, the inaugural season of we felt like we were seeing the changes that we wanted to see to to catapult us into where we wanted to be the following year. And, you know, once is an accident, two is a trend type of thing. And that's sort of why I, I fall on that. Um, I see the point in it, and I hope that I'm wrong on this because I, I agree with you. I think that we've been seeing some good things that point to maybe better times ahead. But again, that felt like it happened last year. It's hard to deny it felt like it happened last year. You and thoughts on this? Am I being too optimistic? Um, 
Well, that, it it just goes back to the point of this is how a lot of people felt last year, I suppose. Uh, it's yep. about kind of you know acting upon it and and you know if we learn the lessons versus kind of having a late flurry and being like oh well things were working out towards the end if we just tweak it a little bit and, and make it you know what we think it should be off the back of a couple of things rather than really have a serious think about it you can get into problems I, i'll say as well like i mentioned the 45 point thing that i i think we should have achieved and success versus failure playoff wise and, and, and questions being asked I suppose it doesn't mean you have to kind of throw everything out if you deem things a failure. You know, you want to just learn from what went wrong and and what went right. Um, but I do think, and we're baking predictions into projections here, but if things go the way that we think they will these last um, eight games because of the quality of the of the teams that we're playing against and how far away from the playoffs we could end up falling... I think that positivity that that people have now that that could actually change into things turning a little bit bitter by the time the season ends, especially if it's bookended by two tough losses against a Miami team that wants to be as high seeded as possible. So yeah. to almost preempt that positivity that a lot of people will have, I almost I, I feel like that might actually turn into people being reactionary the other way by the end of the season and, and people demanding some serious change um, because the results may look really bad. Like if we play those last two games against a Miami team that really wants to avoid playing the eight versus nine game, they really like the team and they want to have one where anything can happen in a game of football. It might have people going into the off season with a real bit of taste, a real bitter taste in their mouth. So, no, just in summation, what we have learned thus far in our discussions <laughs> is that Charlotte FC is not likely to make the playoffs, uh, that their season is an abject failure, and that I, <laughs> of all of us, am the optimist. And let me go ahead and tell you, dear listener, that's not great. Um, <laughs> if, if on this panel, I am the optimist, <laughs> we might be in some trouble. Uh, I, I I don't want to make it all doom and gloom. I do think that, you know, when we, we look at the season and, and the reason I have this feeling that I have that's kind of optimistic and I don't necessarily feel it could be a failure is because one of the ways in which you can't necessarily use data is when you have a significant shift in a system. And Charlotte FC has seen a significant shift in a system. And we're kind of in a weird place right now where data is all just, you pick it up and you throw it out the window if you're actually trying to do analytics because we have three samples of this new aggressive pressing style that Charlotte FC has brought in. And three samples is enough for you to go, well, they're probably gonna continue with it, but not enough for you to go, they're definitely gonna continue with it. It's enough for you to say, well, it looks like they've significantly shifted their style and therefore a lot of the stuff from before maybe isn't applicable, but not enough for you to completely rewrite the data and start over anew. And even if you did, three games is not a large enough sample size to really go out there and draw significant conclusions from the data you would have acquired. So from a data perspective, Charlotte FC is in kind of an odd loophole. And as a result, I kind of just want to be positive <laughs> and, and, and hope. So, so here's to hope. And yes. uh, I think we can probably go ahead to a team that doesn't need to hope because they're actually just really good. Uh, and Josh, you want to uh, tell us about the crown legacy? Yeah. So if you have not watched the crown legacy and I will be the first to admit, I've not been able to watch them as much as I had hoped to this year. Um, they are, one of the best teams at MLS Next Pro, um, arguably the best team. It's between them and Colorado. With two games to go, the Crown Legacy have already clinched the number one seed in the East. They are four points above New England. Um, they have 17 wins, four losses, five ties. The four losses have all been on the road. So if you go to see the Crown Legacy, you are not going to see them lose, basically. They've scored 55 goals. They've given up only 34. They have the best goal differential in the East. Um, it's second only to Colorado in the league, um, who are leading the West. 
this is a team that <laughs> you've probably seen it on the social medias about people wanting their coach to be the <laughs> the coach mm-hmm. of of Charlotte FC. Um, but this is a legitimately good team that plays good, exciting football, but also plays it in a way that is not constantly a shootout. They do allow some goals. I, I think it should be said when you look at it, but um, there's a lot of layers to that when you're talking about the the level that they're playing at. And so, you know, when I was thinking about this this season and, and whether we can consider this a, a failure of a season for Charlotte FC, I was also thinking, does the success, because this is true success, this is the first year for this this legacy club, does this impact sort of the way you view the entire organization of Charlotte, the soccer overarching parent club like do you gain hope from from how the legacy are doing basically i am i'm gonna sort of take over the answer for this one and then i'll let you and jump in and i'll be really honest i'm super positive about crown legacy part part of the reason my previous answer was so positive was if i was going to say i see the three to five year plan that zorn talked about in his interview if I was going to say I see how that works, Crown Legacy has to be doing what it's doing right now. It has to be dominating the league. And that's not like a small if, right? That's not like Crown Legacy has to be doing all right. Crown Legacy has to be destroying the lower league in order for what Zoran has talked about and the three to five year plan of Charlotte FC becoming a competitive, continuously growing system to work it has to be killing that league. And it is. It's currently absolutely destroying that league. And so maybe this is where part of my weird positivity comes from. But I have really enjoyed following the Crown Legacy. I think their story has been fantastic. I think their results have been amazing. Uh, I think the support that these two teams give each other is immense. And and maybe it's part of my optimism. Ewan, where are you sitting on this one? Yeah, I think um, something that's important when we talk about success versus failure of this season is almost reframing it when you talk about the Crown Legacy and saying the success and the failure of the project, which we obviously understand is something that goes beyond one season. Um, If people's ultimate goal for this season for success was like, we have to make the playoffs, we have to make the playoffs. What we could have done was we could have taken the um, two million that was spent on uh, Nikola Petkovic, who plays in the Crown Legacy and is absolutely fantastic. He's just come back after a little while off. Could have taken that money and we could have spent that on a 30-year-old, a 31-year-old, whatever it may have been, and probably could have been a few points better off for it and made the playoffs. But realistically, project-wise, there's something bigger happening. There's a longer-term goal. So coming off the back of having that conversation of do we think this season is a failure uh, for Charlotte FC, you know, and uh, points to everything that we're missing the playoffs. If you're trying to be more positive about it, it obviously helps to talk about the crown legacy because they win a lot of games and they play exciting football. And like Josh mentions, their coach is someone who a lot of people think should be the Charlotte FC coach. Um, But it also is a good way to think of it. If you're, if you want to be all in of, okay, this is obviously something which is a three year project a four year project. And are we further along now than we were a year ago are we closer to winning an mls title in a now than we were a year ago are we on that path and i think when you bring in that perspective then you can be start to be a lot more positive about things then you can start to think okay this this you know team as a whole is actually going in the right direction so i do think that it's not just something in the background that people should think oh well you know at least that's going well maybe a couple of those players will contribute at some stage it is a, a true silver lining and almost maybe even silver lining is not doing it justice. It's a big part of this club, which is heavily invested in, which like you say, Logan is not just doing well, is absolutely blowing teams away and really, really thriving. So for a long-term excitement thing, it should absolutely be something which plays a part in the Charlotte fans mind. Yeah. I I mean, Josh, I'll, I'll go back to you in a second here, but, there are some really serious names on that team. Jack Neely is no joke. I mean, Amity Diop is no joke. He was one of our 
our was he our first Josh or our second pick? He was first. Yeah, he was first overall. And and we traded it up to well, get him. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, we traded up as well. So like, and, and Patrick Ajiman as well, someone we traded up for who is yeah. half Charlotte FC, half Crown Legacy. But again, goes back to the point. We've invested a lot in the Crown Legacy rather than, uh, in a way that we could have done for the first team. And. I'm not even saying like necessarily that Hamidi Diop is going to be ready right now. I don't think he is. We've seen him in the first team a couple times. He looks like he's got a, lo- a ways to go before he's ready. But there are players on this team that are incredibly exciting. Nick Scardina, Patrick Agumong, who we've already seen come up from, who has who has already created that pathway up to be successful, right? And you and you talked about Nikola Pekovic, who who is sort of the big name that everybody hopes will come good. But that that team is exciting, and I'm excited for them. And because I have seen a successful road from there to Charlotte FC, I have to be positive. Josh? Yeah, and I think I just want to add on, you know, you didn't even touch on um, Yuri Tavarish, mm-hmm. who is actually the leading scorer for crown legacy he has he has one more goal than than Agriman. um he also has contributed three assists according to mls and take those with a grain of salt with the hockey and if my if my memory <laughs> is correct he's the same age as well uh he's 22 yeah so mm-hmm. so i think that's i don't really care so much about the results of a developmental team i i think that the results come with the individual play at that kind of level. And, and, and that's what I mean is, is I want to see how the individual players are playing at a, in a developmental league. And I did, think if you have a bunch of good players playing well, you're going to have the results. Did I mention Adunze, the goalkeeper who came over from Leicester City? You, you did not. No, I did not. Or, so also we have, we have the big you know, goalkeeper <laughs> who came over from Leicester yeah. City who's like... <laughs> David like, Graeber as well, I was going to mention as well. 11 goal it, contributions from midfield. He, he's someone yep. who I think has appeared on the bench for Charlotte FC so far this season. Like he's, We could talk about it all day. Uh, like yeah. He's really talented. If you want to get positive about Charlotte FC, this is something massive that you can get positive mm-hmm. about. Yeah, the oldest player on that team is 24, I think. It's in, oh, maybe in that 25, 24, 25 range, which means yeah. a lot of those people are kids who have two or three years to develop into being MLS level ready. Uh, yep. I am going to go ahead and cut us off there because I, I don't necessarily think I expected to spend much time gl- gushing about how much I've enjoyed the crowd legacy <laughs> this season. <laughs> um, credit to all the people who work at crown legacy. Well done. You guys have absolutely crushed it and you've crushed all of your opponents, which we love to see. Uh, Josh, I'm going to let you take it away and introduce the next one. Cause again, you, you, you wrote the script. <laughs> Um, yeah, so kind of along these same lines, again, sort of going from, you know, if this season is a failure, where do we find the hope? We find the hope in the crown legacy. The other question that pops into my mind is, then who are these last eight games, regardless of sort of the outcome of them, who are they big for? And who needs to have a big final eight games to either cement themselves as a part of this team or to further prove that they they need more opportunity? Um, if y'all don't mind, I do want to start with, for me, the biggest one, which mm-hmm. is Brant Bronico. Um, I know that there has been some souring amongst the fan base for Brant this year. I think it's really interesting to consider how he was obser- how he was felt about last year compared with this year. Um, I still think that there are a lot of good things that Brant brings to this club. Um, and I think in in experiential terms i think he's still actually a fairly young player as well but when you look at the makeup of this squad um we have depth in midfield and we have veteran depth in midfield we have brecht that we've brought in we have um carol if he ends up playing there right we have our field we have um ashley westwood we have dj and then we have a guy like david pareba who when you look at the mls next thing uh stats is fourth in the league in key passes so a guy who can really play well there we have petkovic who's also as you and so for me when i look at this team um and i look at brant i think these last eight games, I think Brandt is going to play a big role, and I think this is his time to prove 
or disprove whether next year he's going to be a starter and whether he has a, a future, a, a long-term future with this club. Because I don't think we're going to sell him next year or anything like that. Um, but he's also not that old of a guy. I think uh, Brand is still only, what, 26-ish, maybe? 20, 20, or he's 28, just turned 28. So he still has he still has some good years ahead of him. And so I think this this final few games of the season is really going to play a part into his perception, both from fans, but also, I would imagine, from the organization. You and you want to get in on BB? Yeah, I think um, I think he turned 27 this season just on the age point. So again, just kind of entering his prime. That might be wrong, but I believe that's right. Um, I'd say middle, middle he, to middle late prime. I feel like he prime just for turned, me starts at 25. He just turned 28. 85 oh, days. 28. Uh, <laughs> so he's, he's going into like mid late prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point, point being this should be right where he as a central midfielder is at his best. So that probably bakes in um, a lot of people's feelings about him. And uh, that's fair. That's why it's fair to say that he should be someone where these last few games are massive for him, because it's all right to be, you know, a scrappy versatile player um, at 25, 26. That makes it seem a lot more ambitious when uh, compared to being a 28 year old starter in an advanced position when your traits are your versatile and scrappy. Those are the areas mm-hmm. where people want to see, you know, they, they want the the fireworks almost uh, compared to Brandt, who is is very steady and, and does a job. So he's got a lot on in these last few games. We've spoken about before in terms of Brandt Bronico, the team structures helping him out in the way that they press. It's less being a playmaker on the ball. It's more playmaking by winning the ball uh, in the press. But, that's not going to excite people if it's not working. So it's a big few games for Brant Bronico. And if the system's working, he'll he'll thrive. But if it's not, it'll leave people still feeling like we need to improve in those areas. Yeah, for me, I heard Brant Bronico get the compliment of death. I refer to it as the compliment of death in that uh, somebody went and they used the ter- the descriptor plucky as a, <laughs> a way to describe Brant Bronico. Oof, and if you... Say it ain't so... Yeah, say it ain't so. And and if you've ever looked at any of the teams that people like, they loved the players. They loved the people who the players were. They loved the effort the players gave, but they just weren't very good. They've always been described as plucky. Yeah. People say the similar thing with that is like at the end of a show, if you're an actor, you do a live show, it's like, oh, you did well to learn all of those lines. Like that's apparently (laughs) the the compliment of death. It's almost like the football equivalent of that. (laughs) Just doing Uh, well and doing the bare minimum, I suppose. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons people fell in love with Bram Bronico is I don't know there was anybody beyond Brant Bronico, who loved the badge more. Brant Bronico felt like the first person who truly and genuinely would have left every single piece of his heart, soul, and body on that, that pitch for that oh, badge. Yep. Uh, he was the guy who, when he kissed the badge on the shirt, you genuinely believed it. There was no, there was no mimicry. There was no falsity. There was no playing to the crowd. He loves this team and he will put every ounce of himself onto that field for this team. And as a result, I think he's pretty much always going to have, you know, as long as his body holds up and he's capable of being the engine he is, I think he's always going to be offered a role at Charlotte FC. But I do think you're right. Unless he goes on and shows something really fast, I struggle to see that being a starting role. Um and that will that will hurt my soul because Brant has been very kind to the crown cast. He's been very kind to Charlotte. He is outspoken and a, a man who wants to do the best by his club and his hometown and the city. And uh, but un- unfortunately, he has been shown to be, well, a, a plucky footballer. Uh, you want to go on to your next one, Josh? <laughs> Yeah. So so my next one is is Ben Bender because as the as you termed it the resident Ben Bender skeptic although he's fighting me for it. Um <laughs> I have to of course be negative about him, but I I don't really mean this to be negative because I've always said I like the idea of Ben Bender more than I like the player and I see the talent and I see the potential. 
And so these next eight games, what I want to see from him is, I will say this, I believe I've seen more physicality from Ben Bender this year than I did last year, which is was high on my list. I wanted to see him not get pushed around so easily and so often, and I think I've seen that. Um, I believe it was you, Logan, a, a few weeks ago who made the point of on the wing, it feels like they're trying to get him to take on players more and show something in that aspect of his game. And so when I say these are big eight games, that's what I'm looking for in Ben Bender is not for him to become a finished product in eight games, but for me to see that continued growth and development that leads me to believe that next year we can see more growth and development because as much as Ben Bender can contribute goals, because that is he does. If Ben Bender plays, he is going to contribute an assist. He's going to attribute a goal like that is unquestioned. But there are other things that you want from him as a player. At least I want from him as a player. And I need to see that in these. I need to see things in these last eight games that tell me that he is eventually going to become it, because this is, again, his second year as a professional. I don't expect him to be a finished player. But I just I worry about stagnation with Ben Bender. And so I'm hoping these last games prove that he is not stagnating. He is improving. Yeah, I'll, I'll make my thoughts on Ben Bender really quick. He's obviously the best player that's ever played. I think he'll probably win the Ballon d'Or this year. And uh, no, <laughs> uh, I, I really and honestly, uh, the truth is Ben Bender is an incredible kid with a ton of talent in his boots. But if he can't find a way to get that talent out, he's going to lose his place. And it's it really is as simple as that. Up until the last couple games, I have been very worried about Ben Bender. And if you look at my predictions in the beginning of the season, they were me worrying about Bender because I've seen a lot of very talented footballers who don't find a way to translate that to getting the talent in a way that helps their team. I have just now seen Ben Bender start to pick up new skills in a different area of the pitch. But you know what? He started on the left wing. He got moved to the inside, and now he's been moved out right. And generally, when players get moved all across the line, it means they're not fitting. So Ben Bender needs to figure it out, and he needs to figure it out relatively quickly. It's not a death call on his career if he doesn't figure it out in Charlotte FC. But if he doesn't start to show something real, it might be the beginning of an end at at this club. Ewan? Yeah, Ben Bender's the kind of player you can have a really, really long conversation about in terms of technical flaw, where they can actually play on the field, the attributes that they bring out of possession. Um, but just to kind of tie it in a bow as to where we are for these last few games, um, he's playing a role which, playing a role within this team which should really kind of suit him, um, even though it's not the conventional position you think he would be playing. Because of how we play it, it should suit him. So if he doesn't perform well in these games, I think it would be a concern long term. And I I just I, it might just be a case of timing that him playing in a role that suits him happens when we play teams that have an advantage over us because of the talent level and we have to change our game plan. And maybe it doesn't come out as well as we hope. But yeah, like like Josh says, there's a lot of people who are very high on him as a player. And, and I fall under the category of people who maybe aren't as high. And yeah, always as, obviously. <laughs> as far as players go, he has everything set up for him right now to go show he's going to develop. In the position he's in, he has everything set up. He has the chance to learn how to use both feet. He has the chance to learn how to attack a player. He has the chance how to learn how to play in big space. He's not responsible for as much defensive duty. This is his chance. Go show us you can do it. For time, what I'm going to do, because uh, this is already going to be a relatively long one, uh, I'm just going to do one of the people that I really wanted to talk about, and then we'll, we'll hop over to Ewan. And I'm going to talk about Christian Kalina. And I want to talk about Christian Kalina because I've defended Kalina. I have defended him as a very good shot stopper. I, I still think he is the best goalkeeper currently on Charlotte FC's roster. You'll notice I specify Charlotte FC's roster. Uh, I do think that the, one of the gentlemen I mentioned earlier uh, may have just come over from Leicester City and is a big talent and might be looking at that position going, oh, hey, I would like a Charlotte FC shirt. 
I would like to play uh, in front of the the 50,000 plus crowd. I want to be the big guy on campus. I want the number one. And up until this point, and this is not a knock on George Marks, it's not intended to be a knock on the other guys. Up until this point, I do not think there's been a keeper really who from a skill perspective on the field could challenge Christian Kalina. And I think Christian Kalina is going to have to defend his place with whatever he can pick up now. I I think that with some of the way the team is playing that shows some of his weaknesses more, that exposes him more than other ways used to, he is going to have to pick up whatever he can find, and he's going to have to fight for his shirt with everything he's got. He's going to have to adapt. And he's the type of player who I worry whether or not he has at his age and his profile the adaptation left in him to to keep his shirt josh i am ready to move on from kalina i I will say that bluntly and that is not a knock against the person of kalina it's not even really a knock against the player of kalina because i do think you can find worse goalkeepers in mls specifically But for me, I've seen enough from Kalina to know that from a shot-stopping perspective, I love the guy. From most of the other perspectives, I feel like we can improve. And there comes a point for me personally when I develop an opinion about that. And and I could be wrong about this opinion where I say, I want to see something else. And I'm I'm willing to take a bit of lumps with maybe a guy who ends up not being as good as Kalina but who also could be better than Kalina. Um, with that said, I think Kalina is going to be our, our goalkeeper next year. But long term, and, and when I say long term, I mean three, four years from now, I don't see it. I, I think next year is, the, is sort of the final year with Kalina, and I think it's because he knows the city, he knows the club, and he has a good baseline. But I think he's a player who we should be looking to upgrade um, and who we could readily i won't say easy but readily upgrade all right you and hit it quickly what are your thoughts yeah i mean i've spoken about kalina lots so i think my thoughts on it are probably quite clear <laughs> um in terms of him maybe being replaced going forward you can see it as one of them being one of them positions where in an ideal world we could maybe replace it but because we have other needs because we have a salary cap because we uh don't have millions and millions of money to spend you can see it being one of those positions that they leave so as much as i hope to see improvements from him in these games i do think he'll be the goalkeeper again next season i would say that we need to go get todd bowley's money cannon but honestly that's not worked out so great for other clubs (laughs) with todd bowley's money cannon so uh let's go ahead and i have here you and you've got another one you want to touch on yeah and and yeah this one we can kind of cover pretty quickly um it's a big last eight games for Andrew Privet from the mere fact that he probably himself wasn't expecting to be getting this much first team football this season. And here we have it where he's in the starting 11 as a centre back. Jan Sobosinski is back on the bench and Privet has the shirt ahead of him. And it's his shirt to give, uh, it's his shirt to, to hold on to or his shirt, his shirt to give up. So I actually think he's someone who's played pretty well in our last two games. I think he's improved with the more game time that he's got. I know that it's not his position exactly by trade, but I think he's really taking to it. I think he understands the mechanisms of it and he's doing what he's being told in terms of playing when he's facing a certain way, doing certain things when he's facing another way, certain phases. He's playing in a very well-coached way. And I think he's he's giving himself the best chance to not only hold that shirt, but make himself someone who is, you know, really valued going forward because even though he's only just making his first few games for Charlotte, I believe he's 23, which is young, but not, not that young. So he's uh, in center back standards. That's baby. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty young uh, for, for center backs, but I mean, at the same time at 23, you want to kind of be a a player who can contribute. Um, And, and that's what he's doing right now. And it's, it's on him to keep doing it because if he does, then he'll end this season in a much stronger position than I think any Charlotte FC fans or even some of the coaches thought he would be in terms of his standing in the squad. So yeah, massive, massive last eight games for, uh, for Andrew Privet. 
Yeah, I think it's a really good shout out because I, I like the positive spin on who has a big eight games coming. Uh, I mean, I think maybe you could say that Bender has a potentially positive spin because he has an opportunity to learn a lot. But it Privet was meant is some... to be a positive spin. Okay, it, <laughs> it was intended to be off. a positive spin. I mean, just because it came from Josh, we're going to assume Bender's was always intended to be negative. Um, uh, Andrew Privet is a guy who he came in in the beginning and I really didn't love some of the giveaways he was giving away in the midfield, some of the bad passes, some of the, the stuff that, that comes from being a young player playing in a higher-paced league. It's going to happen. And weirdly, I, I don't want to say weirdly, I am starting to transition to believing this guy has it. He's starting to make few enough mistakes but still go out there and do the hard thing and make the hard pass and try and progress the ball in a way that I am seeing a player who in a year, his, his positives far outweigh his, his giveaways. And in three years could really be something special, you know, as a deep line playmaker in your team, a number 10 who just happens to also be pretty good at defense. And as a 23 year old, he has three years to go and learn how to do that before he's kind of expected to be prime in a defensive position. I think there's a lot of opportunity for this guy, and he's one of the people who I look at and go, if we don't succeed this year, if he succeeds, if his development succeeds, right? If he individually fails, but his development succeeds at an astronomical rate, I have to congratulate him. I have to be proud of that success. So really an interesting call out. Josh, thoughts on Andrew? I will just quickly say, for me, I don't think Privet can solidify a starting place for next year in these last eight games, but I think he can solidify himself in the plans of Charlotte FC. I kind of draw a parallel between Privet and Chris Heger, uh, Hegert from last year, where I don't think we saw enough from Hegert for him to say to Charlotte, you got to include me. We saw flashes. And that's, to me, what I see from Privet is that he can just tell this club, there's something more to me. Give me another chance next year because you saw, as you said, Logan, this crazy improvement from me, and I'm giving you no reason to think that that won't continue. Yep. Let's go ahead, and now that we're well over the time we were looking for it, <laughs> let's talk about our next game because if we are going to make it into the playoffs, we're going to have to go and uh, score 47 goals yeah. against dc and i do think our goal difference needs something like 47 in in order to just really rocket us up the table uh josh how are we going to get 47 goals against dc oh lord um well dc is not a great team just from the numbers perspective so they're they're on 34 points 37 goals scored um but they've given up 38 goals They've lost one of their big players, uh, Taxi Fountas. He is a racist. It took him took two racist incidents for a DC to finally let him go, but they did. Um, but he is still their second leading goal scorer. Their first is Christian Benteke, who most of our listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with. He's big. He's tall. He can score goals, but he's going to need some service. Um, when I look at the, this team, um, a, a name that. I don't think a lot of Charlotte fans are going to be familiar with is a guy named Ku DiPietro. That is a hyphenated last name. Um, he is a young 22 year old winger. He mostly plays on the left, I believe, but he can play on the right as well. Five goals, one assist. He only has 20 appearances this year, nine starts, but he started their last two games. But his ability to cause fullbacks issues is very real. He is in the 97th percentile uh, for non-PK goals for a winger. He's in the 93rd percentile for non-PK XG. Um, he create, he's in the 97th percentile for shot creation, 93rd for goal creation, 88th percentile for take-ons, 93rd for successful take-ons, uh, 85th percentile for dispossessed. All those numbers to mean he likes to run at defenders, and he's very good at doing that. And so whatever side he's on, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, our fullbacks are going to need to be aware of him. And he is a worry because we like to defend narrowly. And so he could be running full speed at that back line with some space. Um, he's a guy who, if you're listening to this and he has a good game, don't go to Twitter 
and say, why are we letting this random guy be good this game? Because I actually don't think he's going to be a random guy for very long. I think there's real talent in this kid's boots. Um, the other player that I'm looking out for is Klitsch, who our friend Ewan is going to speak more about, but he is coming over from, from Leeds. He's a midfielder. If you look at his heat map, it's hilarious. He is everywhere but the the penalty boxes. Um, he makes tons of passes. He's only in the 40, 47th percentile for passes into the final third, but he's in the 94th percentile for passes into the penalty. And so what that tells me is that, yeah, he might not be the one who's progressing the ball up the field, but once that ball is up the field, he's the one you have to stop because he's going to make the pass that is going to lead to that uh, shot on target or to that goal. And so for me, he's the guy who we kind of have to treat like Ilya Sanchez from LAFC, where maybe you put DJ and Brant Bronico on him to try to stop him. You and I, I don't know what your thoughts are on Click. I know he's uh, he's a favorite of yours, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my uh, one of my favourite Leeds players of my Leeds supporting time. He's uh, he's absolutely fantastic, and he's taken that over into his first season now with DC uh, in a role that has adapted over the season. Um, you uh, you mentioned uh, Taxi Fountas, who's obviously away from the uh, from the side now because of the uh, racist incidents, um, but also Lewis O'Brien, who was there. Uh, on loan from Nottingham Forest. So that's two of their most important players from uh, earlier this season who now aren't in that team. And what's happened is they've gone from, and this is quite a recent change, they've gone from playing with a wing-back system, that kind of 3-4-3 three, three, three hybrid to 5-3-2 uh, system, and, and now gone with what's probably a more conventional 4-2-3-1, four, four, where Click, instead of playing further up the field, uh, he's now playing further back into the build-up, um, which is why when you have a look at his heat map, he's kind of you know all over the field for the uh, for the season heat map, not just because he's a midfielder, obviously, but he really is everywhere uh, on that, and, and that plays a part into that. So in terms of uh, negating what he can do, you can definitely plan for it a little bit better because now he's getting in, involved earlier in the build-up. You can have pressing systems around it. Um, you can you can spy him a little bit if if you do get into the second phase and always have someone scanning him so that he's never free to pick a pass or or make a run. So this for the first time in maybe even a few months, this might be the best chess match that we've seen in uh, in in a uh, in a Charlotte FC game in terms of the build up versus our pressing system against a team that is fairly even with us. Like we talk about a chess match. If a team's got a talent advantage, it's got a talent advantage. But these are two teams with fairly even talent and fairly different ways in how they want to play. And it'll be fascinating to watch. And yeah, if we ask, if we execute well on the day, then I do think that we have a real chance of winning this game. But again, to stay nicely on the fence, if if the players turn up that you bring <laughs> their Josh, then they could win. So it's almost like the perfect neutrals game. And listen, we go out there, We've got the home advantage, so there's every chance that we can win this game and, and win what could be quite a fun game as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like, really kind of ready to see what the two coaches and come up with for, for game plans here. It, it could be quite fun. Josh, I'm going to go to you with one really quick question on this before yep. we move on to my thing to watch, and that is we've seen Charlotte FC now have three examples of this really front-forward DJ mm-hmm. in an eight-position game. Yep. Is this a game that can go to dc united and win or is this a game that kind of plays into what dc united wants i think it's something that could work like like i alluded to with the sanchez and like you and you and talked about i look at this and i say benteke can hurt you if he gets into good positions and gets the ball uh ku di pietro is a winger but he's young to me click is the guy who you stop and i think that's why we had success against la because we could stop sanchez and so that's what I'd be looking to do with DJ specifically and probably some help from Brent Bronico. Well, you heard it here first uh, from Josh. Charlotte FC is definitely going to win their game away against DC United. And my thing to watch for this one is going to be a, l- a little bit comedy, but we can't let anybody score a bicycle goal, a bicycle kick on us. We cannot do that. This team made us the laughing stock of the MLS in the beginning of the season. And we have a chance to go to their place and really hit them back. It's two teams that are going to be fighting for the last playoff positions. 
And even if we lose this game, in theory, we could go on and still find the playoffs. What we can't do is lose this game in a way that that leaves pie on our face. We cannot let them score some stupid goal. We can't let them hit a worldie. We can't let them score a bicycle kick. And uh, we need to leave this game with three points and most importantly, feeling like we are a good team uh, in order to go into a run of harder games and succeed. We are going to leave it there because as the Wednesday podcasts are supposed to be somewhere around the 45-minute mark, you know, uh, a little less, a little more, always more, we have we have <laughs> followed our, our standard practices. Uh, thank you, Ewan. Yeah, uh, thank you. And also apologies. That's probably a lot of my bad. But yeah, <laughs> Always it was all Josh. It was all Josh this time. <laughs> he planned it all. <laughs> and you know, I had you, to. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We are going to go ahead and wrap it up. As ever, if you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast on X. I said X this time. Nobody yell at me. Twitter. Uh, <laughs> on, on twex uh that's what i'm just gonna do from now on on twex at the underscore crowncast, and that's it baby we will talk to you again uh for a post react after we go and take our next three points from dc united goodbye queen city podcast network.com